Greetings this morning in Jesus' worthy name. I appreciate the message this morning. God is holy because he is the great other. There is God and then there's everything else. God is unlike anything and we're trying to describe God. But he has given us his word and we have some ideas. Mankind, usually when they want to master a subject, they look at it from all angles and they go around it and they they master something. They understand it. That's not something we can do with God. We cannot go around God in all angles and understand him. But we have enough. And uh, we know that God loves us. We know he cares for us. We know that he made provision for us to spend eternity with him in heaven. We have abundantly wealth of uh, knowledge about God, more than we all that we need. So... Um, Appreciate the thoughts this morning. Also want to welcome the visitors that are amongst us and trust that you can join in and learn with us, worship with us. This morning, I'd like to explore what I would consider a very relevant concept that we all face at one level or another. It is a concept, but we face it in our personal life. We face it in our family life. And we face it in congregational life. Not only do we face it, but people have always faced it in history. In fact, we can see it plainly addressed in the scripture by Jesus himself. What is it? Could be a number of things. I want to speak this morning about values versus rules. Values versus rules. That's the title. First, a few definitions. Values are things that you think are important. And we all have them. We all have values. In a group or it's a society that has similar values, they are said to have shared values. Some people... Or slash, I'm going to say, some people slash societies have or value a good work ethic. If you work well, you receive commendation from those who have that value. Some people slash societies do not have that value. Some people slash societies value acceptance and inclusions of all sexual orientations. Anyone who has that same value receives recommendation from them. Some people slash societies do not have that value. So values are a powerful thing. It's values that actually govern life and society including its homes and its churches and its government. So there are, and there are a multiplicity of organizations that are started because there are some people who have a shared value that they want to promote, so they organize something to promote that value. That's what most organizations are, basically that. 
So that's a definition of a value. A rule is a, we're talking talk about rules now. A rule is a law or a commandment that is required by those underneath its jurisdiction. And often there is a penalty if you break a rule. There's a penalty attached to that if you violate a rule. Now, usually a rule is based on a value. Here is our value. This is how we implement that value by this rule. Now, it's an interesting thing about a rule is that the people who are required to keep a rule may not have the same value as the person or the persons who make the rule. And the statement, rules are made to be broken, I think I heard that, actually comes, it's it's true, because those making the rules and those who are supposed to keep the rules don't have the same values. Or worse yet, those making the rules do not really intend to keep the rules themselves. It's just to their advantage if other people keep those rules. It's more advantage to them. So, can we deduce so far that values are good and rules are bad? Well, not so fast. Let's look at some more things before we make that judgment. And turn to our main scripture, if you would please, to Mark chapter 7. We'd like to look at where Jesus actually addressed his issues here. In Mark chapter 7, we'll start in verse 1. Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be which they have received to hold at the washing of cups and pots and brazen vessels and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said unto them, Well hath Esaias or Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrine to commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men, at the washing of pots and cups, and many other things, such things, such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whosoever curses father or mother, let him die to death. But ye say, If a man shall say to his father or mother, It is korban, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition which ye have delivered. And many such like things do ye do. We're going to stop there. Jesus goes on to explain the difference between digesting dirt in and vomiting out sin. He said there is a difference. One is worse than the other. And that's an interesting subject, but that's not our subject this morning. But I chose this scripture because it includes both sides of an issue. This scripture does. Number one, the Pharisees had a lot of rules. We all agree with that, don't we? I couldn't find the exact number of 
the rules they had for keeping the Sabbath, but 637 come to mind. I, I couldn't find. Somebody counted it one time in the Mishnah or whatever the book they have in their traditions. Someone counted them up. And it's a lot. Now, the value behind this multiplicity of rules was the goal to keep the Sabbath holy. Here are some examples that they did from uh, the more and more modern times that the Pharisees did or the Jews do. They taught that you should not look in the mirror on the Sabbath because you might be tempted to pluck out a gray hair and that would be reaping work. You could not, they said you could only eat an egg on the Sabbath. I'm sorry. They said you could only eat an egg which had been laid on the Sabbath if you killed the chicken for Sabbath breaking. A donkey could be led out of the stable on the Sabbath, but the harness and saddle had to be placed on him the day before. If the lights were on when the Sabbath came, which began at dark at, at sundown, you could not blow it out. If you forgot to light them before sundown, you could not light it. I'm going to shorten a few, but here's here's one. You were allowed to eat radishes on the Sabbath, but you were warned against dipping them into salt because you might actually leave them in the salt too long and pickle them. And that was considered... Sabbath breaking. The Pharisees actually had discussion of how long it took to pickle a radish. And it was fine to spit on a rock on the Sabbath, but not on dirt, because that would make mud, which is motor, and that would be working. And, and things like that. Oh, well, here's one more. One more that you need, ladies. If a woman got mud on her dress, she had to wait until it dried. And then she was permitted to crumble the dress in her hands one time and crush it and shake it out once. And if that didn't do the trick, you had to wear it dirty. Now, God told his covenant people to keep the Sabbath holy. He did. Basically, he told them they should do all their work in six days. And on the seventh day, they were not supposed to work. Now, you have some examples in Scripture. No manna came on the Sabbath day when they were in the wilderness, so they had to prepare the day before for Sabbath. So they had to prepare the day before for their normal needs. One other thing they had, they were not to kindle a fire. And they have the example of a man picking up sticks on the Sabbath, and what do we do with this man? And this God said, stone him. You are to keep the Sabbath. Of course, you also have some later on about you not to do business such as buying or selling. So there was some definition given. But the Pharisees took it upon themselves to micromanage this commandment. And inevitably, it took the focus away from God, the Sabbath, and it put the focus on the rules. That's what happened. It, it will always happen when you do it in this way. Now, in our text this morning, we didn't have about the Sabbath. We had about ceremonial washings. Um, they had specific rituals that they used. It was not just, not just for cleanliness, not just washing. You had to do it a certain way. It was a ritual washing. And it was, especially when they came in from the market, they might have been contaminated by the Gentiles that were there. So they come in and do their ritual washing to get rid of the contamination. But like the Sabbath laws, these ritual washings were not in the scripture. They were not commanded to do it. They were added as their traditions. They were called the tradition of the elders. And the tradition of the elders, Jesus said, completely trumped out the heart of God of what God was desiring for his covenant people. In fact, 
they completely missed the whole point of the will of God. They were more concerned about whether what comes into you than what actually comes out of you. That's what Jesus said. But it's not only that. Some of their traditions actually completely violated the real values that God had. And, and that's where we come into Korban. So let's look at Korban for a little bit. Where we had in our text. According to Nelson's Illustrated Bible Dictionary, the word korban is a word applied to a gift or offering in the temple that is declared, that declared that gift to be dedicated to God. In other words, someone could, in, in a heart of high devotion, or maybe a heart of rebellion, he could devote all his possessions or his things, he could devote it to the temple. And it was dedicated to that. It couldn't be used for uh, some other purposes. Now, the International Standard Bible adds this. Anything dedicated to the temple by pronouncing the contractual word korban forthwith belong to the temple. But only ideally. Actually, what was dedicated to the temple will act, could actually remain in the possession of the person dedicating it. So a son might be justified in not supporting his parents when they're old because he designated his property as a gift to the temple. So even though he can use his property for himself, he can't give it to his parents. And uh, it's sort of a some like some legal wrangling to me. But apparently the, the Pharisees were okay with this. Uh, in the context that we read, it is, it is clear that the parents, when they were older, were getting neglected. That's what the, that's what the implication is. You, whatever I have, uh, whatever you will be benefited by me, I have dedicated. So I can't help you. So here you are old and I can't help you because I have this dedicated. And the Pharisees were okay with that. Now, they didn't really love or care about suffering people. And that's pretty obvious, isn't it, when they were more concerned about keeping the Sabbath than healing people. It is clear that they, they, they were actually not having the value of God. But now I want you to ponder something else. Jesus rebuked to the Pharisees clearly meant that they allowed children to connect their needy parents. But where in the Old Testament law do you find a scripture or a commandment that says, Thou shalt take care of thy parents when they are old? Do you know where it says that? Is that a commandment? Nowhere does God say, take care of your parents when they are old. God doesn't say that. The two commandments in the Old Testament are, honor thy father and thy mother, and whosoever curses shall die to death. And then we have the scripture that talks about a rebellious son. The father and mother, well, I'll just read a part of it. If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son which obey not the voice of his father or the voice of his mother. And when they have chastened him and hearken not, then they shall bring the father and the mother and lay hold on him, bring him out to the elders of the city and unto the gate of his palace, and they shall say unto the elders of, his, of the city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And all of, this, all of the men of his city shall stone him with stones, that he die. So that's what it means by dying to death. The only other relevant commandment I could find in, in this one that is not a repetition is Proverbs 30, verse 17. The eye that mocketh his father 
and despises to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley shall pick it out, and the young eagles shall eat it. So there is no specific commandment to take care of your aging parents in the Bible. So what grounds does Jesus have in blasting the Pharisees for disobeying God? They were not breaking a chapter or verse commandment. And I want you, all of us, myself included, to listen carefully here. I have heard many times over the years as a Christian, when there's a discussion or a disagreement arose about a certain practice or a particular item is, where is the chapter and verse? For this, where is the chapter and verse that forbids this? In other words, show me in plain words from the Bible why I should not put a jack-o'-lantern out on my porch in October. Show it to me. The assumption usually is, if you don't have a clear Bible verse dealing with something, it falls in the area of Christian liberty. So you may do, wear, participate in whatever it is, if you desire, because the Bible doesn't speak about it directly. Jesus did not use the scripture that way. That is not a valid way of interpreting the Bible. And it's not a valid method of determining God's will. So what were the Pharisees doing? They were not breaking a rule commandment. They were breaking a value commandment. So what do we have here? On the one side, Jesus condemns the Jews for adding law to what was not in the law, And that was called the tradition of the elders. On the other side, he expects and requires his people to make deductions from the law and make applications that are not in scripture. On the one side, we're not add to the law. On the other side, we are sinning if we don't add specifics to the law. And so is it relevant to us this morning? How do we solve this dilemma? How do we know if we're pleasing God or not? Let's look at some more scripture to shed some more light. If you turn to John chapter chapter 7. If we want to get the whole context of this, John chapter 7 and verse 21. I'm going to tell the context where this this chapter actually, this passage actually starts. Way back in chapter 5, Jesus healed this man that was laying beside the pool. He's been there a long time, and when an angel disturbs the water... And then whoever steps down gets healed. Well, that's where this man was. And Jesus shows up and he tells the man to get up, take up his bed and walk. And he did. And then the Jews see this man carrying his mat and they say, hey, you're not allowed to do that. That's not lawful on the Sabbath. Well, the whole thing finally came back to Jesus and, the, and they got so angry at Jesus, they actually wanted to kill him. And now let's read here in uh, in chapter 7. And he's talking about the work that he did back then. And Jesus answered and said unto them, I have done one work and ye all marvel. Moses therefore gave gave you circumcision, not because it is of Moses but of the fathers. And ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man, Now, if a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision that the law of Moses should not be broken, are ye angry with me because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? 
judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Jesus is saying, you Pharisees, clearly, the priest, when they do the ritual surgery of circumcision on a baby, on the Sabbath day, they are working. They are breaking the law according to your own interpretation of it. So, why are you angry with me instead of, of, instead of making one part of the body right on the Sabbath? I made the whole body right. What's wrong with that? And then the biting admonition. Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. In other words, don't apply the law woodenly, legalistically. But look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. God gives this command. Judge righteous judgment. Not only does he expect us to do that, he expects us to be able to do that. And here, in a nutshell, lies the difference between a rule emphasis and a value emphasis in that very, this very commandment. In a rule emphasis, focus is making sure a rule is kept. The letter of the law is obeyed. I want to give you an example. I grew up in a church and a home where the use of the radio was not permitted. I also grew up, as many children do, with certain eccentric interests. You probably don't know what mine was, but you'll know soon. Mine was an interest in the weather and weather forecasting. I love to look at the weather maps in the newspaper. I always check the temperature when I got up in the morning. First thing I did, got out to do my chores, see how cold it is, how warm it is. I drew my own imaginary weather maps at school in my spare time and tucked them away underneath a bench beside my desk. I was always interested in weather and forecasting, and my siblings were convinced I was going to grow up to be a meteorologist. But I wished for some improvement on weather forecasting. The newspaper, when when we got it in the afternoon, the forecast was already at least 18 hours old. The only other option that we had was you can have a, you can call this phone number and you can get the weather forecast on the phone. But it was only updated twice daily and the number was often busy. Not, not very good for me. Can you imagine my excitement when I discovered somehow that there is something called a NOAA weather radio? 24 hour forecasting up to date hourly temperatures in various cities and if there was a precipitation in the area it'd tell you where it is and which way it's going and how fast and it would have a, it had a warnings in severe weather. This was a weather boy's heaven. It was one problem. What was it? It was a radio. And radios are forbidden. What am I to do? I'll tell you what I did. I bought one and hid it. And I don't remember all the details but, uh, because I was afraid my parents wouldn't accept it. But at a certain time, in a, in a, not, not too long, probably only several weeks, my parents, either I told them or they found out. I'm not even sure how it happened. And after the initial, well, that's a radio, they recognized, you know what, this is not an AM, FM radio. This is hooked up to three channels 
one in Philadelphia, one in Allentown, and one in Harrisburg, and you can't get anything else. And it became a normal part of our family, even though it was a radio. That was an example of making a righteous judgment and making a distinction between what was forbidden and what is not. My parents made a value judgment and arrived in a conclusion that way. A similar experience or a thing that I heard about was when one of my friends was building a shop and he had an Amish crew working to build it. And they had their music, their radio blaring away and the wife was home all day long and she got finally so frustrated with it she confronted them about it. And their response was, well, we saw that you have a window AC unit, so we thought you probably won't have any problem with it. A, a window AC unit and a radio are both forbidden in their culture. And so to them, it was the same thing. And the value judgment wasn't there. Both are forbidden, and not one is worse than the other. And Jesus said, judge righteous judgment. Now, you're sensible people. Can you make a distinction between the two? I think I heard it already. But neither are direct, actually, neither are directly mentioned in the Bible. If one is right and the other is wrong. When I'm talking about the music, I was talking about either rock or country. I'm not sure which what they were playing, but it was ungodly music. We can make moral judgments and we, we do need, uh, make what I call this morning value judgment. A paraphrase of that verse about judging righteous judgment is this. Don't be nitpickers. Use your head and your heart. Discern what is right. Test what is authentically right. So we have values versus rules. Which is it? Is it one or is it the other? In logic, there is a logical fallacy called the false dilemma. Some of you will probably know what I'm talking about. A problem is presented to someone as, and there are only two options given as an answer. And Jesus was actually presented with this often. He was asked, is it okay to divorce a woman for any cause? That question meant, do you agree with Rabbi Hillel or do you agree with Rabbi Shammai? He was also asked, is it okay to pay tribute to Caesar or not? Jesus always came with, he, he destroyed the false dilemma, and he came with a third answer. And so, so here also, should we have rules? And do away with values? Or should we have values and do away with rules? That's a false dilemma. It's not either. Rules without values are meaningless. If you make rules and they're not connected to a value, what's the purpose of them? If you have values without rules, you have impracticability. The key is to embed deep values with minimal but clear rules. People will generally carefully abide by rules. If they see the clear correlation between the rules and the values that they espouse. The problem with proliferating rules, which more and more and more rules, is that it's becomes more and more difficult 
to anchor those rules to the values. And in the final analysis, it may at some point be necessary to violate the rules in order to uphold the value. But it is never acceptable to violate the values in order to uphold the rules. An example is the the value behind traffic laws is to safeguard human life. That's why we have traffic laws. Normally, the value of safety and the rule, the value, the value is to um, protect human life, and the rules that are made to do that, they correlate. They normally, one correlates with the other. So, not ex- such as one example, not exceeding the speed limit, you make you make the connection. You have a limit, and the purpose for that is because you want you value human life. But sometimes they are brought in conflict, such as when a heart attack victim needs to be rushed to the hospital. Now the value is human life. But the rule is speed limit. In this case, it is, if you keep the value, you will violate the rule. In this case, the speed limit rule must give way to the value of preserving human life. But to have it the other way around would be perverse. Now, I, I confess that in, in, in earlier in my Christian life, I thought, you know, it, um, when it's, when the Bible says about Caesar and obeying all the laws of Caesar, I can't think of the verse, but you, I think you know what I'm talking about. You need to obey the government, uh, he's the king, the, the one, every ordinance is a man, you, you, it's all. And I could have gotten my idea back then that you mean you need to always go to speed limit. And someone said to me, well, there was down in Martindale, there's this uh, man's shop started on fire. And he was over there, uh, 10, 15 miles away, and someone called him and said, your shop is burning. And he came over to Ephraim Mountain and he saw the smoke. He said, do you expect him to drive the speed limit there? <laughs> well, that's what the Bible says, right? <laughs> Are there, ex- you know, that's a wooden, um, a wooden legalistic approach that, you, yeah, you gotta do it. Uh, I know I might raise more questions than I answered this morning. I'm not sure. But there are values that we need to go by. Ravi Zacharias said something like this. I don't have the exact quote, but something like this. said, the Old Testament law has 500 and some plus commandments. These are commandments of God. They're in the Old Testament. David distilled those 500 down to 15. There was another prophet who brought it down to 11. Micah the prophet brought it down to three. He said, He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require thee but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. All those three are values. But now, when someone asks Jesus, what is the greatest commandment you would think he would have given them one, but he gave them two. Matthew 22, I'll just read it. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the great first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments... Hang all the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets got their value from these two commandments. These are the values. Whenever we start making rules or keeping rules based on other values than these two, we are veering off course. Now these values... 
They're relational. They're connected to God. They're personal. They, they connect with you personally and to God. They are, they are to be deeply embedded in the heart. Now, does that mean we can ignore God's specific commandments? You have 500 commandments in the Old Testament. This is distilled down to so many and so many and so many. Now we have just these two. That we can do whatever we think is the loving thing to do? Is that a valid deduction we can get from that? Some of us who were at Harmony a long time do remember a family who did attend at Harmony who left thinking this very thing. God's heart is a heart of love. We must always uh, respond and do love to people. And then their definition of it was when Paul and when Peter, you go back in the epistles and it gives direction for life, they would say, well, that was how they applied love in their cultural context. In their cultural context, that's how love was applied. Our culture is different, and so we apply love differently. So basically saying what's, what's in the epistles and even the gospels some places are not binding on us anymore. We need to define love and practice it in our old culture and time. Now, I'm hesitant a little bit to, uh, to, number a number, to say a number of things about them unless I misrepresent them. Uh, the only two I could be pretty definite about that they had taught about, I know there were many, many, I mean, dozens if not hundreds of applications in the, in the epistles that they would agree were not for our time. But the only two I could think of was the Christian veiling and the Christian greeting. Those was how love was expressed in that culture. Our culture is different, so we express love in our culture. But that's the value is love, and so we need to love. We need to define love. So we don't really need rules, we just need love. Do the loving thing. Situational ethics. Each person determining what is the loving thing to do. That is a recipe for disaster. That is as great, if not greater, than living by rules. So, what is actually happening to that family? What happened to that family is probably what is happening to all of us here. They are reacting to rules not connected to values, at least in their mind. And they think it's one or the other. Now there's actually a polarity between the two. Values and rules. A polarity is where there are two equally important ideals that pull opposite directions. And there's a tension there. An example would be of a polarity in the political world is freedom versus security. Both are important. Freedom. We want to do what we want to do. But security is important too. Sometimes... For security reasons, citizens may be asked to give up some freedoms. And sometimes, for the sake of freedom, they are willing to risk some insecurity. A responsible government will carefully navigate between those two tensions, that polarity, without lurching to either pole. A government that pulls too far in one direction of either freedom or security will inevitably be followed by a government that follows it, that lurches to the other pole. 
and as a corrective measure, and then a successive government can usually lurch it back to the other pole. Lurching. Back and forth. Back and forth. Well, that's what we often see in our culture. That's what I see in myself sometimes. Is it rules? Is it values? The answer is yes. It is. To have a focus on values and no practical direction is confusion and actually disobedience. And to have a focus on rules and not on values is hypocritical and senseless. There's a few take-home points I want to leave with you. Number one, Jesus condemned a focus on rule-keeping, which results in a disconnect from the real values. Jesus condemned that. Number two, Jesus never espoused or he never gave the okay not to keep the direct commands of God. Except in certain isolated cases when value trumps the commandment. Such as when David and his men were hungry and they came to the temple and the only bread that was there was the showbread which was forbidden for them to eat. But they ate it and they were guiltless. Now that's a whole other topic that I didn't even want to get into. It's too big. But we could get to. But they did that. But here's what I want to get. Jesus never espoused not keeping the direct commandments of God. Except in certain isolated cases where value trumps the command. And number three. Jesus expects his people to make applications in practical life based on values. Even though the application is not directly commanded in scripture. Jesus expects his people to do that. In fact, he condemns his people for not doing that. Now, most times when I preach a message, not always, but many times, it is because of something, a burden I have. And basically the burden that I have, I know that we're, we as a new fellowship are trying to determine some of our practical expressions, some of our direction, trying to determine what's okay, what's not okay. And I propose that we need to know what our values are first. What are our values? Based on those values, we need to make some, can I say, can I say the word rules? <laughs> Applications. What do you want to call them? Direction. Practical direction. Obviously, there's a tension. Obviously, there's a tension. You can lurch too far one way or the other. And not everybody will agree where the equilibrium is. And those is why we need lots of love, lots of communication, lots of understanding. But based on values, we must then determine the practical applications connected to those values. Now, in closing, I have a story, not a story here, I have an example here. Around our place at home, we have hawks, and we have a backyard flock of chickens. Hawks like chickens. But unlike groundhogs, we're not allowed to shoot a hawk. Even if it gets our whole flock of chickens, we're not allowed to shoot a hawk. However, we have a neighbor who is allowed to shoot a hawk. Every hawk in our place, she is permitted to shoot 
are hawks. She's a native Indian. The federal laws do not apply to her. But she will never shoot our hawks. She told me she thinks her purpose on earth, God put her on earth to take care of his animals. And she will never shoot a hawk. There's no law that keeps her from shooting hawks. But she will not shoot a hawk. She has, right or wrong, she has a value in her. Brothers and sisters, we need real values in our hearts. To love God with our whole heart and to love neighbors. Those values we need. We need to be intimately connected with the true values that God holds in his heart. And it will control our behavior. So that's my thoughts. Why don't we just, why don't we just stand for prayer here at the ending here? Oh God, we are so grateful to you, Lord, for your care and love for us. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your revealing to us your heart. We thank you for coming on earth and clearing some of the rubbish that has accumulated around your covenant people. And then, Lord, we confess that we live also in a, in a world that is full of a lot of rubbish. And we do ask you, Lord, to guide us and direct us, to show us, reveal to us your heart. And allow us, Lord, to work together in such a way, Lord, that as we care for one another, as we care for each other like you care for us, Lord, that we can move forward in your kingdom, be victorious, be effective, be effectual, be victorious, and bring us all along with you, Lord. So, Lord, we ask you to do that. We ask you to do that because we, we recognize, we confess that in ourselves, we will veer, we will go off course. So, Lord, we look to you and ask you to do that for us. We pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat>